lovely, lovely, cold day. I got a feeling that we have more people watching at home today than normal because it's cold outside. I would like to make, confess a sin. I think it's a sin. I'm not sure. I to, maybe I'll have to check into it. Uh, I hate cold weather. I hate it. I have for a kid growing up. It didn't bother me, but after uh, having open heart surgery and getting arthritis in your chest, uh, I hate cold weather. I discovered how much I really hate it yesterday, and I also found out where the middle of nowhere is yesterday. So if you ever need to go there, your GPS, you just put in middle of nowhere, and it will take you where I was yesterday. The irony of this is the place where my father was born, and I've never been there. It's called uh, Hickory Flat, Mississippi. He was born in Myrtle, but apparently Hickory Flat and Myrtle are one and the same. It's kind of like Fraser Raleigh. It's just kind of there. It's all together. But my dad was born in Myrtle, Mississippi, and he told me one time, you'll never be able to find it, and uh, he was right. So I went to, I had the privilege, the true honor of doing a funeral yesterday for Kurt Good, and I, probably none of you remember Kurt in June. Well, they were in our church for years and years and had to go to Hickory Flat a few years ago. Both of them been sick and moved in with uh, their son. It's a property down there, and June called me a couple of weeks ago, and Kurt had passed and wanted me to do his funeral, and I was honored to do that. And she said, this is at Ebenezer Methodist Church Cemetery in Hickory Flat, Mississippi. And she, they lived down there and then didn't, didn't even know where it was. So I said, well, I would be honored to do it. So I leave home yesterday to go to Hickory Flat, Mississippi. And I would like to thank God for GPS. Because if it did not exist, I would never have found this cemetery. It, you go down 70, you go down 69, you go down 22, you get on 178 highways. And I used to travel all over uh, West Tennessee, North Mississippi, Arkansas. And, and so, and I'm... Not, I'm directionally challenged. I openly admit that. Uh, like, and I'm not going to ask. I'm not like a lot of men who won't ask for directions. I'll pull over and ask anybody for directions. But so I thank God for GPS. So I get off 178, and it's fine. It says now turn on Spruce Street, 25, 500 feet, and get there. It said turn left, and I'm like, there's nothing here. So I turn. There's like a gas station and a trailer, and I, so I turn. 100 yards down, turn right on County Road 1, I turn. So I'm going down this road, and then suddenly turn left on County Road 3, which is dirt. So I said, okay, (laughs) can GPS be wrong? I'm going to find out today. Now, here's the one thing I'm thinking is I'm going to be down here in, quote, the middle of nowhere, and this car is going to break down, and even Chris Ellison won't be able to find me. So my son-in-law called me about something, and I said, Ryan, why don't you just stay on the phone with me until I... Now we so I, anyway, I turned left on County Road three, and, and apparently we were, in the, we were heading in the right direction because that's the address. It was on County Road three, but now there's nothing anywhere but me, woods, and an occasional trailer, and the 46 cars that go with each trailer. So I'm just driving down the road, woods over here, woods over here, and then suddenly it says you have arrived at your destination on the right. No, not nowhere but woods. So I said, well, I don't know anything else to do except just keep driving. So I drove around another bend and another bend and another bend, and boom, right there on the right was a little church, beautiful little church. And across the street was Ebenezer Cemetery, where I needed to be. So we performed the funeral. It was really a beautiful time, but I do not like cold weather and standing outside in the cold and trying to talk and hold my Bible and read and focus, and my lips were frozen solid and couldn't feel my extremities, but uh, we made it through. Kurt was a special guy. He was a true gentleman, and it was an honor for me to be part of his service. All right, I want to mention two or three things to you, and then we're going to get into Romans chapter 12. So if you haven't already, at home, wake up and uh, slap the person next to you, wake them up, and everybody turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll get there in just a moment. Uh, Satan has entered into, he left our light system and entered into our projecting system uh, today. So I need to tell you about the if gathering, which is March 5th. So come on up and make that announcement. March 5th, 6th. Tiffany and Lauren are fighting over which one 
and Wendy, they're all right here together. So they're fighting over which of the three is going to come up here and make this announcement. And the next one who I mentioned by name may come up here and make my, the announcement of my death. I, I'm not sure. So March 5th and 6th, right here in our building for ladies, there will be, we're going to have the if gathering. It's a simulcast. Of, uh, is it all over the world or all over the country? You don't know. All over the world. All right, that's, that sounds good. So they will be here March 5th. And if you need to sign up, the three ladies that are in charge of that happen to be here today, and they will be back there, one of them, Tiffany for sure, be back there in what we call the Cove, or Mary's Corner, we used to call it, the, the Cove back there, and they can give you information, or you can go to our website, or you can even call me, or call one of them, and I'll put you in touch with them. So it, it really will be a cool time for March 5th, that Friday night, and then most of the day on Saturday, March 6th. So that's for ladies only, and the men will be uh, doing whatever they're told to do to help the ladies that weekend. This coming Saturday is the third Saturday of the month, which means what? I had a guy call me last month. He goes, I'm, uh, the, week, the next week, he goes, I missed it. I can't read a calendar. So this Saturday is the third Saturday of the month. So what will we be doing? Help group at the Bartlett campus. So you need to be there about 9 o'clock. That's really the crucial time from about 9 to noon. If you want to come earlier and help set up, obviously you can. If you can hang around afterwards and help tear down, that'd be great too. But this Saturday, from 9 to noon at the Bartlett campus, we'll be handing out food again on the parking lot. Okay, next quick announcement. If, again, whether you're watching or you're here, we're going to have a starting point class beginning soon and going to be doing half of the classes at, at Bartlett, half of them here at the 9.30 hour, and uh, Mike uh, Clay is kind of... Uh, uh, heading it up in charge, he's going to teach part of it. Rhett's going to teach, and some of our elders. Uh, if it's basically tell you what you want to know about Christ Church, if because we're independent and we're not affiliated with anyone else, a lot of times people don't know what that is. It can be good or it can be scary. So uh, it will tell you the history of the church, what we believe, where we're coming from, who we are, why we're an independent church, why we have elders. A lot of questions people want to know about their church. So if you're interested in finding out about Christ Church. Uh, is this need to be our church and maybe you've been here for a while I'd just like to find out more but that's going to be coming up I believe it starts I'm going to tell you it's either next week following week but I, hadn't re- I did not write that down but I think it starts um, early March so if you're interested in being part of the starting point class again you can contact Mike Clay you can also sign up at, at the website Again, or again, call me and I'll put you in touch with Mike and he will follow up with you. He's really good about that. Last announcement and then we'll get into Romans chapter 12. And this is for those of you that are 65 or older so the rest of you can go to sleep. I'm asleep already so that will fit in well. So I've been contacted by the town of Arlington and it's a possibility that our senior citizen center here is going to be a vaccine, COVID vaccine uh, location. But we have to get some numbers to the health department. So they're asking me, and again, whether you're watching online or you're here, you need to do this, and it's time sensitive, so you need to uh, contact me as soon as possible. Two groups. If you're between age 65 and 70, and, and you would like to get the vaccine and you, out here in Arlington, you don't have to live in Arlington, but if you'd like to get the vaccine here, and you're between 65 and 70, just you can call me, text me, email me, and say, I don't need uh, a name, I just need num- a, a, a total number. If you think that's something you would like to do, contact me and let me know, and I'll keep up that tally, and I'll pass it on to the lady that runs the Senior Citizen Center. Second group, if you're 70 or older, that'd be the really old people, even older than me. If you're over 70, and that's a separate group. They need numbers from 65 to 70, and I'm in that group, and or the 70 or over group, and if you're under that, you're on your own. That's all I know. So... 65 to 70 or 70 or older, just, just all you, again, you can send me a text, uh, email me, call me and say, uh, I, I'm a number, I, I'd like to get the vaccine in Arlington. Whether they get it or not will depend on the numbers. So they're doing this all over town today. Uh, all the churches were contacted. So that's where it is. All right, Romans chapter 12, if you will turn there, please. We're looking at, have been looking at, this aspect of what it means to be a loving church. A genuine church. We've been looking at focusing on, first of all, loving each other, fellow believers within the body of Christ, and then we're going to transition into loving non-believers. It's kind of where we left off last week. So we're at verse 14. I want to read that, 
And then we will continue on. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's where we ended up last week dealing with that. So now I want to move into verse 15. And on your handout, that's where we are. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So I want to tie the next two points there on your handout together. And they are this, verse 15, that we are to rejoice and not resent others. We'll get to that in a moment, what that means. We are to sympathize with those who are hurting. Those two points are tied together in verse 15. We are to rejoice and not resent others. Rejoice with them and not resent them when something good happens to them. We should be excited for them. Or sympath- and we should sympathize with those who are hurting. Now, what does that mean? So literally what Paul is talking about here, and the Holy, it's fascinating as you read through it, how the Holy Spirit puts the book of Romans together. It's just a powerful book. But in this particular section, as he's dealing with what it means to be a loving church, and, the, and we've talked about a lot of different things, but the focus here in verse 15 is not me just being a loving person, but me being willing and going out of my way to adjust how I respond to someone based on their mood, what they're going through, where they are, if they're hurting, that I want to enter into their hurt. We'll talk more about that in a moment. That I, that I want to empathize if at all possible. And sometimes I may not be able to empathize because I haven't been through that specific thing. But I certainly and minimally, minimally want to sympathize with someone who is hurting. The second point is, if something good happens to someone, that I don't say, and I would never say this to their face probably, although I've known people that would do that, but if something good happens to someone, let's just say that, that we work together, and they get a promotion and I don't. Now, in my fleshly being, my attitude might be what? Well, that clown, I, I, I know I'm smarter than him. How did, he, how did he get promoted and not me? How did he get that position when I'm far better? The point is here, as a believer, Christian, that I want to rejoice for the other person and not resent the good that's happened to them. That I want to be excited for him or her and not resent the good that has happened to them. And on the other side of that coin is, if something difficult is happening, or they're hurting, that I want to enter into that hurting. I want to empathize, if, if possible. I want to sympathize. The idea is there's no envy. There's no jealousy. There's no resent, resenting, the rejoicing that may be going on in the other person's life. I'll give you a simple example in, in my life. Years ago, I'm talking, I've been here now almost 38 years. This is prior to me going into the, the ministry and, and in, uh, going to work at Central North Church. But I was a youth volunteer, and I was at one of the mega churches here in town, and I was a youth volunteer. Like, they would take a trip. We went to Boone, North Carolina one time, for example, and I was in the business world, and I needed someone to just run the trip. And I went, and I ran the trip. And we had two or three hundred uh, teenagers, and we went to Boone, North Carolina to go snow skiing. And we hadn't been there 30 minutes, and one of the kids skis right into a pole. So I spent my first day in the ER in Boone, North Carolina, which is about the size of this stage. So different, you know, anyway, I went, and I ran the trip, and, and then I taught. I started out teaching seventh graders. I ended up, I was teaching high school and just doing, you know, I was a, a volunteer because I had a lot of vacation time with my job, the company I worked for. I built up a lot of vacation time. and So I used it in youth ministry, and, and in my mind, I was really good at it. And so, again, this was one of the mega churches here in town, and they were, on several occasions, they hired new youth staff. They didn't have just one. They had several guys on staff, full-time, that did youth ministry. And I'll be, my hand up, confess my sin. My thought was, every time they hired one of those other guys, they did what? They made a mistake by not hiring who? Me. Because I knew I was smarter than they were. I was, I don't know if I was better looking or not. I don't want to go that far. But I was smarter than they were. I was a better teacher than they were. The kids really liked me. I could hang out with them. I could play sports with them. I could do it all. So I was 
jealous. I was envious. I was resentful. And I, don't, I can't say at that point that God had called me into the ministry, but had they approached me, I would have probably said yes. So then I reached the point, and again, in my time, and married, I've been married uh, almost 10 years, and I'm tra- we have two little girls, and uh, I'm traveling, I'm doing, I had a good job, had a company car, expense account, all that. And then the Lord just kind of laid in my heart, that I want you in ministry full time. I was 30 years old, or 29. So I wasn't going to go back to school, I wasn't going to go to seminary, but I really knew that this is what God wants me to do, to figure out how I'm going to do that with a wife and two small children. And so I went to the pastor of the megachurch, who I'd known for 13 years, and he'd been my pastor since I'd gotten saved. And, and I went to him and said, I really feel the Lord calling me into ministry full-time. And here's the exact words. Randy, that's great. We don't have a place for you here. Now, I thought what he was going to say is what? That's great. Here, fill out this paperwork. You're in. Because they'd have been lucky to get me, was my mindset. But no. So I just kept being a youth volunteer, working, teaching, leading, just helping out wherever they needed me. I was doing Bible studies at Kirby Woods High School. Back then you could do that. And I loved just being with teenagers. And almost one year later to the day, the brother of the, the pastor of the megachurch, his brother is named John Latimer. And he called me. He had been my youth pastor when I got saved in 1970. And he called his brother and said, we're looking for somebody to be the youth director, they called it back then, of, of the fledgling little central north church at Austin P. and Yale. And, and, John, and his brother, Jimmy, said, well, you need to call Randy and just talk to him. And within a month, I was on staff of that fledgling little church and have been for 38 years. Did God have a better plan for me? I think so. His plan is always best. And that's, rather than being envious and resentful and jealous, I should have been. And ultimately, I got to the point where I was supportive of those guys, and I worked with them, and I helped them. But in my spirit, I had to deal with, with that sin. The idea here is to be loving is to enter into, celebrate with a brother or sister in Christ that God is blessed, that you're happy for them. You're thrilled for them. And when they're hurting, you hurt. That you really actually hurt. Remember the story of, of Lazarus dying and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And Jesus was on the way. We're not going to go through the whole story. I just want to, it's called the shortest verse in the Bible. And it's John eleven thirty five, And it says what? Jesus wept. There's a lot going on there. And the primary reason Jesus wept in the immediate context there is he wept because Martha and Mary, two of his best friends, had lost their brother. Now, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And that wasn't the point. It's that he empathized with their weeping because they literally said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, what? This wouldn't have happened because we know you could stop it. He had a bigger plan but he also hurt for them. He entered into their sorrow and he wept. The Bible says, look at Romans again, chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And the literal Greek is, I mentioned it a couple of times already. Literally in Greek it says, when it says weep with those who weep, the Greek is enter into their suffering with them. Back during the Civil War, it's a great illustration of this. Back during the Civil War, they had these things called vials of tears. And what would happen is that the people who were back home, particularly the ladies whose sons and husbands were fighting in the Civil War, they would cry their, as they cried their tears, they would put them in vials, seal them up, and send them to their sons or husbands to carry into battle with them. They called them Vials of tears. That's the picture here. Is that I want to be part of your hurting. I want, to, want you to know that I weep for you. I care for you. Verse 15, it's not about how we feel. It's are we going to respond to how others are feeling? Are we going to genuinely care? Douglas Moo, pastor that I read, put it this way. Love that is genuine will not respond to another's joy with envy or bitterness, 
but will enter wholeheartedly into that same joy. Similarly, love that is genuine will bring us to identify so intimately with others that their sorrows will become ours. That when they hurt, we hurt. It's a great illustration of this from historical context immediate when this was written. Herod's temple was in Jerusalem, had been Zerubbabel's temple, Solomon's temple, same site. You can go there today and the Wailing Wall, Western Wall is still there. So in, in Herod's temple, which is the temple that had been existed at the time of Jesus Christ when he was on earth, they had a custom. The Jews had a custom. There was one entrance and one exit. So everybody went to the temple. So when you would come to the temple, you would hear that you don't have that one entrance. You would go through and then you would exit on the far side. Only one. So all the traffic flowed one way. Entrance through exit with one exception. If you were a family that had lost a loved one or you were in deep sorrow, you had had a pain, maybe someone had been struck with leprosy, whatever it might be, whatever your pain, your sorrow was, you were allowed to enter through the exit door. Everyone else had to, was going through the entrance, following through and going out the exit. The, one who was in, the ones who were in sorrow came through the exit door, followed through and went out the entrance. And the point being, and the illustration is this, they did that, so those that were sorrowing coming that way, everyone that was passing them knew what? They were hurting. They were in sorrow, and you mingled with their sorrow as you met in the temple. What did the temple represent to them? Particularly the Holy of Holies, which they didn't enter, but they were the court, this is the courtyard, but the temple represented to them where you met God. They called it in the Old Testament the tabernacle of meeting, where you went to meet God. So they're saying here, where you are meeting God, you're meeting others in their sorrow as you pass through the temple. Beautiful illustration. Verse 16, the next focus. You love with humility, verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not, let, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion with humility. Verse 16 does not, is not saying, it's really important, and you see this in Philippians, deals with this at length. Verse 16 is not saying that we're always going to agree on everything. How do I know that's true? Well, number one, that's what it says. But number two, I know we're not always going to agree on everything. I'm married. Been married for a long time. For example, this morning, I'm shaving, getting ready to, to come to church, and, and I knew it was going to start snowing when, Jim? Five o'clock this afternoon. I'd already figured it out. Why? Because that's all I've been looking at for three days. We're going to be okay Sunday morning. It's going to start snowing late Sunday afternoon. What has my wife said for the last three days? You know it's going to be snowing Sunday morning, don't you? I said, no. Mary, look, it's the weather. It's right here. She goes, I'm telling you, it's going to be snowing Sunday morning, and you need to understand. I said, we're okay. So I'm in there shaving. She goes, it's snowing. I said, no, it's not. I told you. She said, do me a favor. Put that razor down, chuckles, and go look out the window. You know, I have, you know, I have a window in the bathroom. You've got one of those kind you can't see out. I don't know why they make those. In. Well, I mean, yes, I do. Okay. i got to figure out I know why. All right. So I go to the living room, get the big glass window, and I look out, and guess what? It's snowing. So me, in my inimitable way, I said, Mary, I don't even see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, you're dumber than dirt. It's snowing. I said, yeah, but it's just pretty, isn't it? And it is pretty just to watch it fall. It's, it's beautiful. It was pretty yesterday driving down to the middle of nowhere and seeing the ice on the trees. Because I figured this is the last place anyone will ever hear of me is that I went. He left, headed to Mississippi, and we don't know what happened to him. But we're not always going to agree on everything. Even the person you're closest to on the planet that... that uh, you love the most, that you're the dearest, you're a wife of almost 50 years, 48 years. We don't like the same foods. We sure don't like the same music. She can't stand, I heard her talking to a friend on the phone this week because I have my iTunes account and I listen to it when I'm shaving or I'm getting ready. I just turn on my music and I, I thought it was turned down where it wasn't disturbing her. And I heard her talking to a friend in the, in the bedroom that's on the phone. She goes, he's playing that stupid music again. And I said, okay, I guess I better turn that down where it 
Because if she doesn't like it, that's fine. I can turn it down and not disturb her. We don't have the same taste in music. We don't have the same taste in food. She likes cheese, and I cannot stand cheese. She, she would eat cheese from now until Jesus comes back, and I can't stand it because I'm a Christian. <laughs> kind of like eating pork. I, I know, my, never mind, we'll move on. All right. So verse 16 is not saying be of the same mind that you're going to agree on everything. However, here's what it does mean. That no disagreement over a trivial matter is going to allow us to fall into disunity. So you like different kinds of music. That's fine. So you baptize different ways. That's cool. So you take communion at different times and in different ways. That's fine. We're not going to allow disunity to destroy the church over things that are not essential. So what we do, verse 16, is this. Here's what he's talking about when it says with humility, love with humility. Obviously, the whole picture of Jesus Christ is that he was, that he was humble. The only thing he ever claimed to be, I'm meek and lowly in heart. I'm humble. That it's not about me, it's about you. That's humility. Is that we regard everybody, particularly in the church, I know we're dealing with non-believers also, but specifically in the church, that we're part of one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are... We are equal no matter what you're, so, so you're the senior pastor. That makes no difference that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're the same family, different roles, different functions. That's why it's a body. That's why the, that illustration is used when it comes to spiritual gifts and just being one in Christ. We regard each other as one. Now, verse 16 says, be of the same mind toward one another. The little Greek is be impartial as you deal with one another. Be impartial. James deals with that at great length. Not, don't sh- because someone comes in and he's got a lot of money, don't show him favor, favoritism over the person who doesn't. Treat people the same. A lot of talk about that in our nation now in a very misunderstanding way. Don't set your mind on high things. That's talking about pride. Don't be stuck on yourself. Don't be conceited that there's no elitism, that we, are, we love one another. Associate with the humble. And that means no matter who it is, no matter who it is. And the humble there is talking about those who maybe have less than you. We're talking about with James, those who've not been blessed like you are. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to associate with them. For example, let's take the person of Jesus Christ. What was the number one criticism his critics leveled at him? He hangs out with whom? Tax collectors and sinners. I know none of us like tax collectors. I understand that. But he hung out with people that the righteous Jews, the Pharisees, and the leaders, they would never hang out with women or Romans or Samaritans or people who weren't just like them. But Jesus did. He went out of his way to emphasize so everybody would understand, I came to love people to serve them, and to die for them, no matter who they are. The parable of the Good Samaritan, we've talked about, perfect example. Jesus hanging on the cross, and the Romans who were crucifying him, torturing him to death, his response is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It wasn't just his words, and I love it, he, he, in one place he put it this way, what do you perse- for which of my words do you persecute me? I'm not, or my deeds, I haven't done anything. And I've only taught love, and I've only taught the truth. They twisted it into blasphemy. He did claim to be God. You know why? Because he was God. And then he proved that he was. A non-God doesn't walk on top of the water. A non-God doesn't say to a man, Lazarus, come forth, who's been in a tomb for four days. He proved that he was God. So which of these things are you crucifying me? Zacchaeus, another example, he spent his time with people who were despised, rejected, shunned, poor, and hated. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Be willing to be wrong and not always be right. I would like to raise my hand here and say I've been guilty of this. Particularly in many ways in in a marriage, a lot of times your wife will start sharing with you that this needs to, and in my mind, I'm already what? I'm three steps down the road. I've got the solution if he would just shut up. 
I need, and instead all she wants me to do is what? Listen to me. Just, just listen. And then we'll decide what we're going to do, or I'll tell you what we're going to do. Realize that you're not always going to be right. Listen. Care. Be interested in what the other person has to say. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Work with each other in harmony. The idea of the whole idea of spiritual gifts. I read a story a couple of weeks ago. I was uh, putting this together and I was just reading different examples. And this, again, it's a story from right after the Civil War had ended. And in Richmond, Virginia, it was a really nice, fashionable downtown church. It was Episcopal church. And church had begun, again, downtown Richmond, Virginia, around 1866-67, so, so you can get in your mind historically where we are. Downtown Richmond, Virginia, in the Episcopal church, church had begun, and a black man entered the building. And he sat down at the bottom level of the church, and... Of course, immediately what began to happen? What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? What are we going to do about this? Having him in here in our church. So it goes to the congregation. And at the end of their service, what they did, to get in the Episcopal church, they would come to the altar and kneel and receive communion. So they came to that time in the service. The first person to get up and go down to the altar and receive communion was the black man. He kneels at the altar, receives communion again, the buzz in the congregation. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And suddenly there's just silence everywhere. The rector of the Episcopal Church didn't know what to do. And so one of their laymen, very esteemed, respected laymen in their church, gets up and uh, he walks to the front of the church where the black man is kneeling to receive communion. And he kneels beside him said, we'll take communion together. And they did. And gradually, the rest of the congregation got up and went down to take communion. The point being, what did, what did, simply by going up there and kneeling next to the man and saying, let's take communion together, what did he say to him? You're not shunned. You're not hated. You're loved. You're loved. Do I understand everything about you? No. But I can reach out to you. And I can love you. I can care. All right. Let's look at verse 17. Specific focus in verse 17 is on those who hate you. Your enemies. We are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to love them. And let's look at specifically what Paul writes here. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Notice the quotes. Repay no one evil for evil. Do not avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Give, don't give place to wrath. Let God Handle, give place for it. Let God handle it. Our natural instinct as human beings is to get revenge. Why does God say, let me handle the revenge or the vengeance? Why would God say that? Because he's going to handle it how? Perfectly, correctly, every time. We might do good most of the time. Might be a good judge, might handle it correctly. And you have to have civil authorities. That's not what this is talking about. God's saying... You've been wronged, let me handle it. We're not talking about crime, we're talking about personal relationships. Jesus, there's a story in the Gospels where they bring a woman, quote, caught in adultery to Jesus and throw him at her feet. What did Jesus say? He that is without sin among you, do what? Throw the first stone. And probably the person that had committed adultery with it was where? Right there in that crowd. Jesus was making the point that God handled this, not you in your selfishness. 
you let God handle it, then you can respond positively to the enemy. You can win the battle. Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to overcome an enemy is to make him a friend. Now, look at verse 17 one more time. Repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Verse 17 is simply a reiteration of verse 14 and verse 21. So if you'll drop down to verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've talked about the eye for eye principle already. So the summary here is this. We ought to be forgiving of our enemies, even if they don't deserve it from our perspective. And sometimes that's really hard to do. But the best example to understand this is Jesus Christ died for our sins. And the Bible makes it very clear. Did we deserve that? Did we deserve it? No. We were God's enemies. Romans deals with this at great length. We were his enemies. We were helpless. We were ungodly. We wanted nothing to do with him. That's a human race. And he came and became one of us and died for us. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wrote these words. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. How many of my sins did Jesus forgive me for? All of them. How many do I commit? More than I can count. And yet, in Christ they are forgiven. The Bible says God removes them as far as the east is from the west. Puts them at the bottom of the scene, remembers them no more. I am forgiven positionally. I am in Christ. He's given me eternal life. He's given me an eternal home. We're not talking about how you live day by day. Those sins are forgiven positionally. Still, if I hurt, if I sin, I want to ask God for forgiveness simply because of the relationship. I want it to be good. If I hurt Jerry's feelings, he's my friend, he's my brother in Christ. If I insult Jerry in some way, which I'll probably do just a matter of time. If I do, is that sin forgiven in Christ? The answer is yes. But because I love him, I also want to go to him and say what? Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. Now Jerry's going to say, no, you're knucklehead. No, Jerry's a loving man. He would forgive me. 